I'm Alexis Dion. And I'm Chelsea. And we're the co-hosts of High Priority, a podcast where we ask industry experts the tough questions about the past, present, and future of the cannabis industry. All right, we are back in effect with another amazing episode of High Priority. Chelsea, what has been on the docket for you lately? I feel like you've been very, very busy. I have been uh, all over the place, Mm -hmm. content-wise. Matteo is taking on a lot of clients, so we're very busy in a good way, always. Mm -hmm. Love all kinds of companies joining our practice. (laughs) Um, But I have been working um, on Green Thumb Industries stuff a lot recently. um, And- This episode um, kind of ties in to all of the work that they've been doing. They recently launched a initiative called Good Green. Um, so basically it's a brand, but a percentage of the proceeds goes towards funding these grants that um, mm-hmm. they select. They're like local nonprofits and they get like upwards of $75,000 to nice. um yeah, help with like education, expungement, really like helping black and brown communities um, in, you know, the markets that they operate in. And so today we are inviting Jai Kenzie, who is uh, Green Thumb's director of social impact, along with one of their Good Green grant recipients, uh, Philadelphia Lawyers for Social Equity, led by uh, Renee Chenault Fatah. So mm-hmm. I'm interested in just seeing like, you know, how a partnership of this scale is implemented, um, you know, how they even found each other, how this works and how other big companies can do something similar. Nice. And I love that we're hearing about multi-state operators, also known as MSOs, um, doing their part to basically reconnect with community and empower people who have been negatively affected by the war on drugs. Um, And so GTI is kind of like leading this in a sense. So I'm hoping to hear more stories like this about other MSOs partnering with other organizations to really kind of help push social equity to the front. Um, And I was reading that with this Good Green grant that um, outside of Philadelphia Lawyers, for social equity that they also gave the grant to Innovation Works Baltimore and Why Not Prosper Philadelphia. So for all of the, you know, I guess other MSOs and just like anyone in general looking to partner with organizations like these, like do your own research, right? Like look around in your community. Google is your friend. Um, See what smaller Mm -hmm. local organizations are actually on the ground doing the work to push social equity forward and partner with them because there are so many organizations across the U.S. that are fighting the good fight. I mean, just off the top of my head, Canaclusive, duh, no brainer, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Marijuana Matters, another good one. And and shout out to Cureleaf because they have partnered with uh, Marijuana Matters, um, Supernova Women mm-hmm. in California. Like it's just, there's so many smaller organizations, local organizations that we can be working with to, to really push social equity to the forefront. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what makes uh, Jai's approach interesting um, as well as she's spoken in previous interviews about really like talking to the people in the community. Like I think the first level is doing, you know, that Google search, seeing what's out there. Mm -hmm. But 
you got to go into these communities and ask the people, like, where do you need support? And mm-hmm. right, like they could need a new library or they could, you know, I don't know, need mm-hmm. like more resources for a food bank. But like, if you're not talking to these people and you just like give them a bunch of money, like, what are they going to do with it? So mm-hmm. I think this approach is like very personal and like tailored. And I think it is. I can, you know, it kind of just like reshapes this kind of relationship between companies and the communities that they serve. Agreed. Agreed. So honestly, I'm kind of just really intrigued and I really want to just get to the meat of this and and talk more about it. So let's just go ahead and jump in and talk to Jai Kinsey, Director of Social Impact for Green Thumb Industries and Renee Chenault Fatah, Deputy Executive Director at Philadelphia Lawyers for Social Equity. Welcome, Jai and Renee. Thanks for coming to High Priority. Love having you beautiful people on our podcast. Um, Your respective teams joined forces last year to eliminate more nonviolent cannabis criminal records in Pennsylvania. But before we dive into your partnership, can you give our listeners a brief overview of your background and what led you to your current roles at Green Thumb Industries and Philadelphia Lawyers for Social Equity? Yeah, so do you want to go first, Renee, or should I go first? No, you go first, Jack. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And first, thank you so much for having us on this podcast. I'm so excited to be here, and especially with the amazing Renee. So thank you so much. Um, my name is Jai Kinsey, the Director of Social Impact at Green Thumb Industries. We are a CPG company. We own um, Rise Dispensaries across the United States. We are in 15 states and we have 17 cultivation facilities. I came to this space, you know, during the civil unrest after George Floyd's murder, I really got to this place in my life where I wanted to work on something that was more aligned with my purpose and really supporting black and brown communities. And um, the role was available at GTI as a social impact director. And so it's something that definitely spoke to me in terms of where I wanted to go in the direction of my career. So I joined Green Thumb Industries and it has been amazing thus far. And I've met amazing people like the like Renee, who's doing amazing work in the community. Jai, you're, you're so kind. Um, just just real quick. Um, in fact, Jai and I, we were together earlier this week, so it's nice nice to reconnect. But yeah, yeah I am, um, my name is Renee Chanel-Fatah. I am the Executive Director of Philadelphia Lawyers for Social Equity. And I'm going to try and give you like the quick sort of spiel on how I got to Philadelphia Lawyers for Social Equity, because it really is kind of a roundabout, a roundabout way. I, um, I grew up in the 60s, you know, like so many people in my generation, Black folks, you know, we saw that the way you made a difference in people's lives was through the law, which set me on the path of wanting to be a civil rights attorney. Uh, came to Philadelphia in the, I guess, the late 70s to the University of Pennsylvania Law School. But somehow by the time I graduated from law school, I had forgotten what I had wanted to do all along. I was up to my ears in debt. And instead of, you know, ending up at Legal Defense Fund, I ended up on Wall Street at a uh, commercial litigation firm. Lasted about two years because it really was not what I wanted to do. Went back to school, got a master's in journalism after about 
my gosh, uh, four years in five different markets, ended up back here in Philadelphia where I was the uh, evening anchor for 25 years at the NBC station here, left in 2015, did a documentary on Alzheimer's in communities of color. And it was while doing the documentary that a college friend of mine who was on the board of Philadelphia Lawyers for Social Equity asked me if I was willing to just volunteer my time to do some videos interviewing people who were in various stages of the pardon project or process. So it was through interviewing those folks and hearing their stories and being, and I, Jai's heard me say this, but being so moved by their stories, but also really being enraged because these were folks who had done something five, 10, 15 years ago, um, you know, had, had gone to prison, served their time, hadn't had any more problems with the law, but were still being held back from a job opportunity, from, uh, you know, education opportunity, from being able to coach their kids little league so it made me feel like you know this is something i wasn't aware of how could i get involved so philadelphia lawyers asked me if i would join their board i was on the board for a couple of years and then they asked if i would come on board as staff and for the past nine months i've been the executive director of philadelphia lawyers for social equity and we provide record clearing services around expungements and pardons for people here in philadelphia and in pardons across the state of pennsylvania love that Awesome. Wow. I love seeing two passionate women um, finding each other through very, you know, non-traditional ways sometimes. So um, to go further into that, Jai, can you give us a better sense of how Green Thumb first learned about uh, the Philadelphia Lawyers for Social Equity and what made this organization really stand out? Yeah, so we have a um, product, Good Green, where, you know, we talk about the good and the green. So there's a product side, but the whole purpose of it is to support organizations that are out there doing work in the expungement space, employment, and education. So when looking at Pulse, it, you know, it, I mean, they're doing amazing work. They're supporting expungements. And Renee, I've mentioned to her before just like how important it is to work. You know, I am my, my nephew actually has two felonies related to cannabis. And I, knowing the impact that it has on the individual, and not only just the individual, but the individual's families financially emotionally, mentally. I mean, my nephew can't even walk down the street without any type of anxiety of wondering, you know, will this be the day that he gets locked up for the rest of his life? He cannot work fully like a normal citizen. He cannot vote. He's 21 years old. He should be living the, his best life right now. Mm -hmm. But he can't because of two felonies related to cannabis. So when looking at organizations like Pulse, it is, it's just imperative for organs for us at GTI to support organizations like that. So when so when we look at organizations for the Good Green Grant, there was no question that we would support Pulse and the work that they're doing to provide um, you know, those pardons and expungements, but also uh, supporting those individuals with wraparound services to ensure that they can re-enter back into society to operate. And I mean, it just provides so much help and I don't think people really understand that these are real people who have who need to be able to live real lives. They are real people who want to go to school, who want to work, who want to go back into society and give back. But they can't because of something that they've done in their past. My nephew was 18 years old and made one mistake. First time, first time running into the law. And they actually gave his white weed distributor, cannabis distributor immunity 
to testify against him. So it is, and so that's one of the reasons why I feel like when we look at organizations like Pulse, it's a no brainer for us, especially knowing the, the dues the cannabis industry has to pay to support people who've been impacted by the war on drugs. Mm. And Renee, how has Pulse approached corporate partnerships in the past? And really, what made you say yes to partnering with Green Thumb eventually? You know what? It was um, it was really a no brainer. Um, mm-hmm. We were fortunate enough to learn about the Good Green Foundation through our one of our uh, co-founders, who was also on our board, Ryan Hancock. And when he presented um, the information on the foundation grant and said this was an organization that was looking to to support organizations like ours um, around the areas of education, <laughs> employment, and expungement. That was like, you know, that's, that's right in our wheelhouse. But then taking it sort of one step further, the fact that they were doing this to address the harm. I mean, this is like right in their mission statement to address the harm that's been done in black and brown communities around the war on drugs. And when we saw that, it's like, yes, there's their synergy here. And if, and if they're interested in us, we certainly want, want to approach them. And it's, you know, you talk about, you know, what sort of corporations do we, you know, approach or, you know, in, in, in terms of partnerships, you're looking for those that align with your mission. And I want to give you, I mean, in addition to Good Green, there's, I mean, and it's top of mind, that's, that's why I want to bring it up right now. Um, but we just signed a contract with a grocer in in our area, uh, ShopRite. Um, Mm -hmm. They run about 12 different grocery stores. Mm -hmm. And we just signed a contract to um, do record clearing for their employees. For the past 17 years, the company has hired returning citizens. And so what they've decided to do, Jeff Brown is is the founder, what they've decided to do is just like, you know, like an employee benefit, like dental and medical. Well, along with that employee benefit package is record clearing services. And we're going to be providing that. And again, what they're doing certainly aligns with our mission in just the same way that what Good Green is doing in terms of recognizing the harm that's done and wanting to do something about that. And, you know, talking about employment and expansion, I mean, somebody can't even, I mean, the cannabis industry has become so lucrative, yet if you have this, this criminal record, there's, there's no way you can, you know, apply, right. get the money, the funding. Mm-hmm. So Good Green had the sense to sort of make the connection between, okay, we got to bring awareness and education, but we've got to be able to create employment opportunities and you can't do that when, like Jai said, there's this record for, I mean, her nephew, one thing held back. How many of us, I mean, my God, all of us have done something in our life mm-hmm. and there, but for the grace of God or the color of our skin, you know, we don't pay the price in the way that we see our communities pay that price. So, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to want to partner with, with, you know, the, the Good Green Foundation because of all the good, good work they're, they're doing. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I think that really speaks to just like the future of um, like, how many times you end up saying good. It's like the good yeah. one. Yeah. And we had a dollar for every time. Do you really not that? If we had a dollar for every time someone was released from prison for uh, being right. incarcerated mm. for a cannabis charge. Exactly. Thank we, you. we would we would be pretty wealthy right now, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, also, I want to go back to you, Renee, again, um, through the Good Green Plant or Grant, sorry, 
um, PLSE has received $75,000 to present as many nonviolent cannabis related cases before the Pennsylvania Board of Pardons before the end of the year. What does this review process look like and what has been your team's impact so far? Well, we just started. And I think if you talk to any nonprofit and you ask them, well, you know, what have you accomplished? What have you done? We would all preface it by saying, well, COVID sort of changed everything. Um, You know, our original plan and the proposal we made to Good Green was that we would host 12 clinics throughout the city of Philadelphia in which we would bring awareness to how people with, you know, nonviolent marijuana cannabis convictions could um, get on sort of an accelerated track. So the idea was to have these clinics monthly. We haven't been able to do it in person because of COVID. So what we're now doing is offering hotline services where, you know, we get the word out in the community through working through community organizations, as well as churches telling them, in fact, there's one going on today from 12 or from two until four here in Philadelphia, call this designated number and somebody can walk you through the process of applying for a pardon under this sort of accelerated, accelerated review of again, Mm -hmm. nonviolent, uh, cannabis uh, convictions. Um, so the idea is, I mean, ideally we would like to reach, you know, 2000 people mm-hmm. over the course of the next year, which is such a, I don't want to say insignificant number, but when you consider a, a study was done, um, 57,000 uh, cannabis convictions over a 12 or 10 year period in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. 57,000, and yet only 100 people applied under this this accelerated pardon relief. So you see sort of the discrepancy. I mean, and and those are convictions. That's not talking about the number of folks out there who maybe were arrested, but the charges were thrown out, but it's still on their record and they still need to get rid of that. So, you know, Mm -hmm. we are um, trying to as many different ways, which is why I'm so glad we're talking to you today on this podcast, but trying (laughs) to get the word out that we're offering these services. And, you know, Pennsylvania does have this accelerated review, but it doesn't mean anything if it's not, if the word's not getting out to people. Mm. Makes total sense. Yeah. And so to help our listeners understand this process a little better. So say someone does receive a pardon, what kind of professional economic social opportunities would they have access to like immediately, specifically within the state? Right. Well, you know what's frustrating? And again, this is why, you know, we we really do need to get some sort of legislative reform because even when a person gets a pardon in Pennsylvania, they still have to go back and get the expungement. Um, For Mm. every, you know, part, there's a charge for that expungement. And I think it's like court fees of like $150. But once they do that, and again, this is all education. This is like letting people know that this, there is a process. It's cumbersome, but there is a process. Once they get that um, expungement and the pardon, if someone asks them, do you have a criminal record? You can say no, because in effect, that pardon has wiped your record clear of that. It's, it's, it's eliminated it. And as you can imagine for a job opportunity, we, um, we were part of a, a, a study where they looked at the amount of money that came into communities over a 10 year period from um, pardons being granted. $16 million came wow. back into the community 
through income. You know, you don't have this thing on your record. Uh, you can get a better job. That's money that flows back into the community. So whether it's, you know, getting that better job, whether it's all of a sudden you're now able, you know, you don't have to either fudge on a, on a report which asks, you know, you, know, you, you want to, let's say, coach your child's little league and they say, well, do you have a criminal you know, record? A lot of people are forced to say no. And, that, you know, so you don't have to do that anymore. You can say, no, I do not have a criminal record. So all those sorts of barriers are lifted. You can coach your kids literally. You can chaperone the field trip. Mm -hmm. You can, you know, housing. Before working at um, Philadelphia Lawyers for Social Equity, I was at Senior Law Center. We were seeing seniors coming in, um, being denied assisted living housing because they had a record from the 60s. Oh, no. Jeez. All of these barriers. I mean, isn't it ludicrous? And then you wonder why people have no hope and you wonder, you know, I, it's so anyway, so yeah. So, so what sort of benefit comes housing, education, employment, mm -hmm. okay. just not just to mention the fact that you don't have that on your record, you know, somebody can't with just one click of a button, all of a sudden find out something you did 20 years ago that you served your time for and have mm -hmm. moved on from. Mm -hmm. And I believe in Pennsylvania, you can't work in cannabis if you have like a drug charge. Is that right? Right. So it's, you know, I, I, and, and that's why I said the connection that Good Green made between employment and expungement is 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 so important. And, you know, it's it's why everybody needs to. And the more of us are talking about this, the more awareness we bring to it. And again, that's why I circle back to, you know, thanking you for doing this and Jai for, you know, just really carrying the banner on 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 this issue. Now, I always say you all are at Green Thumb. We are the vessels for resources and a platform to amplify the voices of our nonprofit partners. And you all are just a true example of champions for the people. And that's where we will always be here to ensure that we're there to support you and your team's efforts to help communities of color who have been impacted. So definitely it's our pleasure. And uh, I wanna kind of turn the tables back to you, Jai. Uh, you have spoken in previous interviews about seeing the unjust repercussions of cannabis prohibition firsthand. From your personal experiences, what do you want more regulators and businesses to acknowledge and address regarding the lasting impact of the war on drugs? Well, it speaks to a lot. Um, you know, what I want regulators and business owners to think about are the people, the people this is impacting. These are real people. These are real people who want housing. These are real people who want to work who don't want to revert back to criminal activity. These are real people who want to go to school, who want to go to their mm -hmm. child's soccer practice, you know, and it's developing regulations and incorporating business um, strategies and, uh, and within our own operations that help to move the needle in terms of supporting the people. You know, I feel like sometimes we can look outside and it's just, you know, we're going along with the business, but when you put the community first, the people first and understanding, you know, who it is that we're trying to support, I feel like it, it'll just flow and it'll help. To, it, it's just something that'll help so many people. And I feel like, yeah, just starting there first is remembering when you're building out these regulations, think about who has this impacted and how can we support them as much as possible. 
And speaking of really the people that are being directly impacted by this, Renee, based on the work that you've done for Cannabis Amnesty through, um, you know, PLSC, have you noticed any specific communities within Philadelphia that require more legal support than others? And what do you believe are the most productive ways to reinvest in them? Yeah, yeah. No, you know, one of the grants that we recently applied for um, we specifically made the connection and the correlation between, you know, those areas that have high violence and high crime and high unemployment. And we target, I mean, we want to look, we want to offer our services to, to everyone. But if you're really looking to get at sort of the, the poverty that, that underlies so many of our communities, you have to acknowledge that you know you have crime because you have poverty because you have mm-hmm. unemployment because people mm-hmm. don't have a job so we're looking at those communities that you know are underemployed or unemployed and offering our services there because we feel like that's where you can really make a difference and it's it's like it's way past doing it doing the right thing it's really about helping people lift themselves out of out of poverty and and addressing the the economic instability that has 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 decimated neighborhoods in in Philadelphia and people are like well you know why is there such crime well you know what there's hopelessness people don't feel like right. they have an option um, you know we had a a man come into one of our clinics our deputy executive director talks about it all the time she's like you know she laid out she looked at his record she's like yeah you know we have something for you we can you know provide a pardon and you know these are the steps and in two and a half to three years and she said his face just changed he's like you know with mm-hmm. all due respect I don't have two and a half to three years. I've got kids at home that mm. right in this very moment need me to be able to put food on the table. And chances are he came to us because he'd been turned down from a job. And yeah. that's oftentimes how we get folks. You know, they find that there's this record. So they're like, okay, well, there's something we can do about it. Yes, there is, but it takes time. So, and it goes back to what I'm also saying about how we really do have to have legislation in place that, you know, I'm all for, you know, uh, decriminalizing uh, cannabis, but there should be something attached to any sort of legislation around that that focuses on a clemency, like an automatic expungement. So, you know, all the folks who 5, 10, 15 years ago were punished from this can now benefit, you know, and and that's what I would really, and China, we've talked about this going forward, any sort of move to make cannabis legal should have that as part of the legislation, you know. Don't forget us. Don't forget our communities, you know, Definitely. that paid the price and now can't even, you know, get access to the capital to benefit from this, you know. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I get no. But, I, but <laughs> I was thinking of people who just don't – it's not right, you know, and, 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 and you know, if, if you're talking to a four or five year old, they know what's right and what's wrong. It's just not right that that we're denying so many of our communities, you know, an opportunity that that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like definitely more states are getting their act together in that sense. And hopefully that will be the direction Pennsylvania goes in if and when they legalize. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it looks like we're heading in that direction, thank God, towards, you know, legalization. But again, it's got to include this other component. Yeah. 
And now the question is, do we think that legalization is going to happen federally under Biden or are we going to have to wait a little longer? Because I don't know. I, th- I thought I had a little hope in Biden, but mm. now it's kind of weaning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> mm. I was never confident. I wasn't going to bet on that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love Renita, you talked about that hopelessness piece because it, it made me think about I just because, you know, like I told you, my nephew has two felonies and I see it in his face. You know, he mm. the the mental toll that it does on an individual who has a cannabis record. And when you constantly told no, I mean, people, you know, when you're, you're just trying to give someone an opportunity, like you said, to lift themselves up. And when they're constantly told no, and, you know, the idea of having to go to their family for support financially, and not everybody has that. There are so many people who are homeless right now who have nothing because they don't have that family support network in place to help keep them lifted and their spirits lifted during this process. And like you said, it can take years. And, you know, it's just so sad, but that hopelessness is so real. And I've been had, I've had those conversations with him where we've encouraged him and said, keep going. We have your back. We will be here for you. You don't ever have to worry about anything. We know that you are a good kid and you did one thing wrong. That does not define who you are as a person, Mm -hmm. you know, so that it's just so important to remember that. Absolutely. He's lucky he's got you and your family to support. But I also think this is important to like, there is such a stigma around criminal records. And, you know, so the fact that you're talking to him saying, you know, we've got you, we all need to say we've got you. I mean, we've got Mm -hmm. to, We've, we've got to be able to have conversations about this. And you understand why people don't want to talk about it because, because again, they're punished and they're penalized because of this. So it's almost upon us to, you know, in every, every chance we have to, to shine light on this. Uh, thanks. Thanks for even like mentioning this, Jai, because I think a lot of people don't really hear the ins and outs of the stories of people who have been through this whole incarceration process because of cannabis. So just hearing your nephew's story, I think will touch a lot of people and hopefully will push people to actually want to do some type of change in their community. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and, and also Jai, in addition to providing financial support to local organizations like PLSC, how else is Green Thumb driving social impact in its respective markets? And how does your team decide which initiatives to prioritize? Yeah, so at Green Thumb, we support organizations in a number of ways, and we look at various factors in terms of how we prioritize which organizations we support. I tell people all the time, I have my dream job. I get to support the Black and Brown community every day through the most amazing organizations who are supported um, through food banks, through um, expungements like Pulse, through education, workforce development programs. And so what I do is, you know, giving back is core to Green Thumb's DNA. So what I look for and what our team looks for, we're a mighty team of two. So we are on the social impact team. But across the Green Thumb Network, I say every employee, it is giving back as part of our DNA. And we have um, and I see it through um, a beautiful example of our community engagement committees across 
our 75 retail stores across the U.S. We have people who on top of their day jobs go out and volunteer in the community to show that we're not only there to um, bring in our retail facilities, but also to give back and to bring jobs into those communities. We have also, you know, donations, like I said, that we work with a number of organizations that execute and activate programs to help uh, help people with employment, to help people with, um, you know, entrepreneurship opportunities, different um, brands that we work with. And so it's just a great opportunity for us to give through fi financially as well as supporting them through volunteerism. We also have our um, program called First Day Donations. Every time we go into a retail market, we we don't we look for a nonprofit to work with that's aligned with our values. Um, our four pillars are: um, we have restorative justice, which really focuses on the work that we do with Pulse. Our community engagement, which focuses on our volunteerism efforts. Environmental stewardship that really focuses on our work to be um, eco, be an eco-friendly business, and then our um, lastly our DEI efforts. So as long as an organization is aligned with those priorities, you know we look for ways that um, also look for you know sometimes a lot of people go for the larger organizations that are big and shiny. But I love to really connect with organizations that are aligned with our values, even if they're smaller, because a lot of times those are the folks who are in the trenches doing mm -hmm. extremely hard work. And I say it all the time to my team. Look, we you know, we have the easy part. We know what we did. The folks who are in these nonprofits, particularly these small ones, a lot of them are working two jobs, you know, their nonprofit work and their full time mm -hmm. job. We are yeah. so when you know we can't complain. We are here to support them and to be the vessel for resources and the platform to amplify the work that they are doing. You know, we stay in our lane. And so that's how we typically look to prioritize like which organizations we work with. And like I said, they're aligned with us. We are truly an organization that believes in giving back at Green Thumb. Mm -hmm. And so it's definitely something, you know, we'll continue to do. <laughs> That's great. And I'm sure there are a lot of leaders of these organizations, these smaller organizations listening to this podcast, wanting to know how can we be down with GTI? What what do they do? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, even with the Good Green Grant, you know, when looking at organizations we want to work with, it, you know, if your organization is aligned with um, our pillars, I'll repeat them again, restorative justice, environmental stewardship, um, DE&I and um, volunteerism in the community engagement space. If you particularly have programs that support expungement, employment, and education, please contact us because it, it's important for folks to really recognize that there have been people who've been who are who have been doing this for years, decades, mm -hmm. and they're out there, but they're not getting. Um, you know, they're not large nonprofits who have the manpower behind them to be in the media and out there. But we do some digging, you know, on our team. We look at news articles. We look, we talk. I'm big on um, listening first. What okay. is the community saying? What are the people saying? So that we know who are the folks in the trenches doing the work and actually um, creating tangible impact in those communities. So, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely we don't just... Um, look at large organizations. We look at all sizes because they all matter. When the community wins, we all win. And each each type of organization has its own specific role. Yes. Two snaps. Mm -hmm. I love that hyper local <laughs> approach coming from coming from the people themselves. Um, so Jai, 
as we all know, this 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 industry has a very high barrier to entry, especially for BIPOC entrepreneurs, regardless of criminal records. You know, it's still really hard to just get the money and enter, especially if you're plant touching. How is, you know, Green Thumb approaching this from the business side and supporting potential social equity licensees? Yeah. So we have a program called, and so I totally agree. I talk to people all the time in terms of the barriers that they face to enter into the cannabis space. And so I'll talk about the licensees, but I also want to touch on ancillary um, opportunities. Um, so on the license side, we have a program called LEAP, License Education Assistance Program. We actually just had a webinar and we will have others. I can share information for the upcoming ones, but it's for Connecticut specifically. So if you're a Connecticut resident, please go to gtigrows.com and you will and click on LEAP and you will see the links for to register for these seminars. But for those seminars, basically what we are teaching folks are, you know, how do, what are the different type of licenses? So education is the, the main focus. What are the different type of licenses? How much are they? What, you know, what, you know, what should you look for in terms of a partner, a, a backer, investor? What, um, you know, what does it take to be a social equity applicant? How do you get approved of that? What, like, how do you ensure that you can get approved as a social equity applicant? What is it like to operate a dispensary? What is it like to operate on the production side? So we cover all of these bases so that individuals are well-informed when they go into this process. This is a whole new environment for everybody. We are literally inventing and inventing a whole industry. And so it's, in, you know, we're kind of, GTI has made it our mission to come forward with the knowledge that we have and to share it, to share it with social equity applicants. We've brought in our legal team to support as well, because that's another barrier. Who can afford an attorney to get into this space? So we have our attorneys participating in these webinars to ensure that folks have, you know, at least the general knowledge to understand what they should look out for. I mean, there's tons of predatory lending out there. So, you know, being able to know like who you should look for and what, you know, attorneys to hire, you know, with cannabis backgrounds in order to ensure that you are on the right track so that, because, you know, a lot of folks are spending a ton of money in this space in order to get in. And that's why I want to pivot to the ancillary side, because I don't want my community, black and brown communities to miss out on an ocean of opportunities that are there outside of the licensee, out of the licensed space. If you, you know, I just, I just participated in the Black History Month webinar where with four black men who were business owners in the entrepreneur space, it was a very proud moment. And I said, I just love the fact that what they did, it was, the theme was, what are you passionate about? What will you love continuing to learn about? And just the idea that their drive, where they just kept pushing. One had a logistics business in cannabis. One created a lifestyle brand. One created a, um, a, an app, Tetragram. And so it's a, you know, so there's so many opportunities, I feel like, outside of the dispensary space where, you know, you could become a marketer in this space, a communications person in this space, and even transferring your skills. I have a 20 year background in CSR and community um, CSR and communications that experience working in the corporate. I worked in corporate health and science, nonprofit and government. 
the cannabis space, I was connected to, to the legacy market, but not the legal market. But coming from, you know, that background, I was able to transfer those skills into this space. And it's something that I'm so excited that I did. But there's so I just want folks to really understand that if you don't have the capital to go into that licensing space, there's mm-hmm. definitely an ocean of opportunities in the ancillary side as well. Very true, because mm-hmm. we have had people from all verticals of cannabis um, on our show, you know, people who talk more about like consulting and marketing, education, mm-hmm. uh, policy reform, all of those different things that are not plant touching. So thanks for bringing that back up. Um, Renee, can I, can I, oh, can go, I just go ahead. one mm-hmm. quick, quick thing about what yeah. Jai said, and it's clear, Jai, that you're a journalist, <laughs> but the, the four examples you gave of the entrepreneurs, it's so important that we share those stories. You yes. know? I mean, mm-hmm. it, there's something very inspirational about hearing about somebody doing something and somebody watching that can say, hey, you know, that's an opportunity for me. And that, and again, this ties in with why we've got to talk about this. We've got to tell these stories. Cause I mean, I can sit here and tell you 57,000 convictions and I can say, you know, we did 1300 petitions, but numbers are numbers. It's only, you know, you only start caring about the numbers when you hear people's stories so you know um maybe offline we can talk about you know <laughs> some of those individuals that you were mentioning because we i mean it's it's about helping people see there is another way and there's hope and stories are a way to do that so that's our yes. sorry alexis but i just couldn't let that no. pass because i was caught up in in the storytelling <laughs> and the narrative because that's 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 key no, that's all good. I mean, I was going to go back to you anyway, Renee. So, <laughs> yes, you're back on. <laughs> back in the hot seat. Um, so, Pennsylvania's Senate Law and Justice Committee recently held its first hearing on adult use legalization. If and when the industry is finally legalized, do you plan to work with regulators to create the state's social equity program? And if so, what specific laws will your team advocate for? Right. Yeah. You know, I I, I had mentioned this and, and I'll just repeat it again because it's so important. You can't legalize without also having the clemency part that's automatic. So that's, you know, mm-hmm. we're, we're collecting data now that, you know, will be available for policymakers and legislators to see why the two have to go together. Mm. Yes, very much so. We we are very, very uh, involved and engaged in, in that space and hopeful. Mm-hmm. Love that. Hope is a great thing, especially in this very difficult industry at times. <laughs> um, so We'll close this interview with some manifesting, manifestations, um, manifesting. So Jai and Renee, what are your visions for your respective organizations over the next two years? Jai, I know like some other good green grants are coming out. Um, I know for Pulse, lots of new programming and, you know, offerings are coming out. What What's on the horizon? Um, uh, oh, go ahead, Renee. Okay, just, just real quick. We want to um, make our services available to as many people who can benefit from them as possible. And we wanna bring awareness to the community about why this isn't just an issue of morally doing the right thing, but it's a way that you know we can lift our communities and it's a way of economic development in our communities. And then I'm hoping that you know we can get to the point where this is an automatic thing and maybe our services aren't needed. 
No, I think nonprofits like to envision themselves going out of business because the the need is is, is no longer there. But that's 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 it in sort of a, a nutshell. That's real. Yeah, and for um, GTI and social impact team, it's just to continue creating community informed programs and community informed outreach efforts. So. You know, like I mentioned earlier in this, I'm big, you know, we're big on just like listening to what the community has to say, what entrepreneurs have to say. I just had a call yesterday with a, um, a Black entrepreneur and just getting, you know, bouncing ideas off. I'm super transparent. I want to know, you know, will this strategy work to help you? <laughs> like I'm working to help you. So I want to make sure what we are creating is we'll do that. And so I feel like we're over the next two years, it's um, helping to build a more diverse ca um, uh, cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. And also, like I said, just continuing to build programs that are informed by the community. I love it. Well, it starts with, you know, a thought, then it's it moves on to action and, you know, execution. So we appreciate having you two on the show to really talk about your initiatives and what you're doing for the cannabis community. But now we're done with the serious part of this interview, and I want to get into the fun stuff. So this segment is what we like to call I Got Five on It, where we ask you five rapid fire questions and you just give us the first thought that comes to your head. Shall we begin? All right. So question for both of you. If you could infuse cannabis into any food or drink, what would it be? Jai, we'll start with you. Um... Food or drink, uh, it would definitely, I drink chai tea every day. Love it. <laughs> Love it. Yes. So it, it would definitely be some infused chai tea. Um, that will be, yeah, that would be. <laughs> I right. love that. Mm -hmm. Chai is chai. Trademark it now. Yeah. There you go. Yes, chai. Chelsea yeah. will write the copy for the press release. And exactly. All it's yeah. it. Chai is chai. It's done. That's it. <laughs> what about you, Renee? Uh, well, I'm a dud. I, you know, I don't consume cannabis, but if I did, mm -hmm. I think I would put it in, let's see. Maybe something I don't like to mm. consume so before it would make <laughs> enjoyable. So uh, let's see. I do not like Brussels sprouts. So I think I would. <laughs> Interesting. I told you I was a dud, but I really, you know. Okay. That's hilarious, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Can we could like, that? yeah, we could like do a infused balsamic glaze on top Let's of the sprouts. Maybe. Caramelized. Yeah. I would eat that. Good. Chai <laughs> Look, see, you're not a dud, Renee. Look, you just gave us a really awesome idea. Yeah. Great. Culinary innovations on high priority. Way to go. Who would have thought? Yeah. <laughs> So this next question, um, Renee, I'll let you go second because you might need a little bit more time to think about it. What is your most ideal setting to enjoy cannabis? Or even if you enjoyed it, where would you want to enjoy it? Me? Um, I'm a social, I'm a, oh, did you say for me? No, to go no, first? Oh, like, yeah, Jai, Jai, go ahead. So that Renee okay, can have yeah. a beat. Yeah, um, I'm a social smoker, so I like smoking at a festival. My bestie, mm. she's like, yeah, we every festival we go to, it's like, this is our spot. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sit back and relax. And yeah. smoke a joint. It's great. What, <laughs> what kind of music festivals do you like going in? My favorite Afropunk, hands down in Brooklyn. Nice. Oh. I'm so happy that it's coming back. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> the return. Afropunk. The return of Afropunk. Thank goodness. Love it. We used to go every year. And so now I'm like, I saw the ad. It's back. It's back. <laughs> back yes. I actually might go back this time. I haven't been to Afropunk in a few years. So oh, if you go, please, we have to connect. But we definitely For sure. we will talk. We will talk. It is my favorite. I mean, the expression of just life and just expression of just like yes. self in that festival. I'm a I'm an amateur photographer as well. So like nice. going there to take photos is my favorite thing to do. Love it. Renee, any thoughts? Well, you know what? Um Jai is social. I tend to be rather solitary. So I think mm-hmm. if I were, uh, all right, l- let me replace uh, cannabis with martini. Okay? <laughs> okay. That's, that's my generation, okay? <laughs> Which actually does so much harm. I mean, you know, cannabis is good for you, martini, you know. Um, but I, I think I'd be on an island somewhere under a palm tree um, mm. with martini. Oh, nice. That's, I love that's that. Mm-hmm. Me too. That's fun. Okay. I'll yeah. With you. yeah. No, no chasers for Renee. Just straight. <laughs> right. Straight, straight, straight gin and vodka on the beach. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> good. <laughs> Next question. What is your biggest cannabis related pet peeve? So for example, when smoking with others and somebody messes up the rotation. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Right. Okay. I, I need to just be quiet. <laughs> no, no, no. You're fine. Uh, basically, like when people are smoking together, say it's like a group of you and your friends and everyone's like passing the joint around and you're supposed to go in order. Gotcha. But then somebody like jumps in and they're like, oh, let me. And they're like, wait, this is no. You're, you're, what are you doing here? You're messing up the rotation. <laughs> my 23 year old and my 18 year old would have known that. They should have been in the group. <laughs> Well, now you know. So then but you can tell your, like, hey, you go look, back to them. Mom's cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Any thoughts on that, Jai? Um, I don't really have a pet peeve. Um, yeah, no, I don't have a pet. I can't think of anything that's like a pet peeve related to cannabis. Well, nice. Okay. You're, you're a friendly smoker then. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Un- unbothered back, queen. So I'm just kind of like, I go with the flow. So I don't really have a pet peeve. I love it. I love it. So if you could smoke with any celebrity, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Jai? Oh, you want me to go first? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. Um, so I've already smoked with the celebrity that I've always wanted to smoke with. I smoked oh. with Snoop. One. What? <laughs> Stop! No, no yeah. way. Probably, I, I don't know, my mom will not listen to this. Hopefully, I'm <laughs> in high school. <laughs> wait, 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 wait! You smoked with Snoop Dogg in high school? Well, no. I what? Was coming, what I was, year I, is this? I'm so confused. You got to tell this whole story. Sorry. Can you back up? Oh, way to bury the lead. Wait, I don't want to get Snoop Dogg in trouble. <laughs> Snoop no, Dogg in trouble. Okay, re- redacted. It's anonymous, famous this is person. Just between us, right? This is just between us. Just between us and however many people listen to Have Heard. It was just a random, like, so when I was in high school and I went to prom, my prom date was a cannabis distributor. 
I mean, that's what they call them now, <laughs> cannabis distributor. That, that's a really PG <laughs> term. Okay. Or sorry, PC. Term for, okay. <laughs> Got it. And so my date was, I guess he distributed to Snoop Dogg's family. Oh <laughs> and so he said, do you want to go to Snoop Dogg's house after prom? And I was yes. thinking, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you what? mean? That's a silly question. In the world. So we went to Snoop Dogg because I'm from Claremont, California. And so like we lived at the bottom of Claremont, but Snoop Dogg lived in the hills of Claremont. <laughs> and so we, um, so yeah, so we went to Snoop Dogg's house and we were in his studio, me and my date, Snoop Dogg and his friends. And yeah, I was <laughs> Okay, clearly it my was like a dream experience was whack. It then. was a dream come true. And I wasn't even a heavy smoker then, but I wasn't oh going to miss out on the opportunity to smoke. <laughs> no, you can't. What, like, why would you do oh my that? God. Yeah, so we and, yeah we were in his house and his wife, I saw his wife, she came and she was pregnant. <laughs> she was pregnant with his, uh, his, I think it's his daughter. Yeah, his wife, Shantae, wow. she was pregnant with his daughter. Oh and so yeah, so it was a it's, yeah. So we left prom early, obviously, because I was like, "Are we going to Snoop Dogg's house? Like, what is?" <laughs> this <laughs> is the coolest story I've ever ever heard. This so yeah, I have like very little all. photos at prom. I just went and changed clothes. Like, let's go. <laughs> oh, you didn't prom. go in your prom dress? No, I did <laughs> go and just said hello. Did all the like a little bit of photos that I had to do, oh, and then I said, "Come on, you yeah, know, let's oh, go." Oh my god! So, but do you have pictures with Snoop Dogg? No, because that was just so, one, I was so nervous because I've always been a huge fan. I mean, I was that, I had posters like on the wall, like Snoop Dogg, I was a huge fan. So, and you, we always knew like living in Claremont that Snoop Dogg lived like 15 minutes up, like in the, you know, so we knew he lived there. So it was always one of those things where, yeah, so it was just like. I just stood there very nervous next to my date and just let him take the lead and just. <laughs> that is the coolest just story. Yeah. To him the whole time because I was so nervous. Oh my God. Do you know how many people on this podcast have answered Snoop Dogg like, to that question? Yeah, so you're exactly. living so many people's you did dreams. It. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's Check. what I said. I was like, this, everything I've accomplished, I smoke with Snoop Dogg. Boom. That's it. Uh, That's all right. I'm it. putting it out there. I am going to smoke with Rihanna. I am gonna smoke with there you. Oh my God, I, I believe amazing. I I believe in you, Alexis. She's gonna uh, she's gonna want some smoking buddies after she pops out her baby. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Renee, did, did you have an answer to this yeah, one? There is no way I okay. have any kind of answer except to ask Jai if I can interview you because we're we're putting together some compilations of video stories. <laughs> Would you be willing to let me do you an, an interview talking about that? Look, I have the most random stories. People always yeah. ask me, how old are you? And I'm like, look, I've lived like six lives. <laughs> I think that's a yes, wow. Alexis and Chelsea. I think that's a yes. yes. I think that's a yes. yes. I I cannot <laughs> live with myself like letting this story be buried. It needs to be like told to the world. To, yeah. Shout from the rooftops. Yeah, it's definitely a memory. It's something, and it's funny. Um my sister, she didn't believe me when I told her we were going to Snoop Dogg's house. And I, because I invited her. I said, Do you want to come with me? We're going oh, to Snoop Dogg's house. Oh, no. Biggest oh, regret. Sure. Sister suck. And biggest she regret. didn't go until this day. She's like, I could have been at Snoop Dogg's house. <laughs> See, she should have listened, yeah. sis. You should have listened. I bet it eats her up at night. 
<laughs> it's so funny. And what's so funny is I wasn't even going to um, go to prom with that guy. And I just I couldn't find a date. And my date had canceled and I couldn't find a date. And he had always wanted to, you know, date or whatever. And I said, you know what? You know, he's a cannabis distributor. He can cover this cost. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm literally going to share this with everybody. <laughs> this is hilarious. Yeah. And, and, you know, it was the best thing ever because he took me to Snoop Dogg's. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Second choice was the best choice. Second choice was the best choice. And I have that memory for the rest of my life now. Oh my God. Chelsea, you want to close us out? Yes. uh, Last question. So for Jai, it's what is your go-to high snack? And for Renee, what is your go-to martini (laughs) snack? I don't really have the, I don't really get the munchies, but I do love kettle corn popcorn. So Ooh. <laughs> I can Ooh. kill that. I like, that's I like that one. crunch. Yeah, the sweet and savory. That's mm. what gets me. Yeah, I love it. Well, you're in Chicago, so you better go to Garrett's for sweet and savory. Yes, that Chicago mix. <laughs> Look, if I had a bag of Chicago mix and a, a dog walker's pre-roll, Okay, I have to confess that I did go to Chicago and on my way out, I bought like the large party mix or like the the large Mm -hmm. sweetened savory mix. And Mm -hmm. I had I then smoked a pre-roll when I got back to New York. That was dog walkers. I ate the entire bag and I felt (laughs) I believe you. I felt so ill for the next two days. But I know you didn't regret it. There was some light regret. Um, I won't. I won't be repeating that. But um, it is fun while you're in it, if you if you so choose to do it. Right. Exactly. Um, all right. So uh, I know we're short on time, but I just want. Oh like... wait, no. But what about Renee? Oh, go ahead. Um, no. Oh yes. You know With a wanna... good martini, you don't need a snack. You got the. Oh. That's, that's it. There you have it. There we go. Stories finished. Um, so lovely talking to you, wonderful ladies. We know that there are going to be a lot of people listening to this podcast who want to get in touch with both of you or either of you. So where can we find Green Thumb Industries and Philadelphia Lawyers for Social Equity? And specifically, um, how do we get in contact with with you, Jai, and you, Renee? Yeah, so you can contact, you can look for, find GTI online at gtigrows.com. I also want to mention, we do have a good green grant that will come out again in June. So please, if you are a nonprofit, contact us. You can find us on our website. Um, You can email me, jai.kinsey at gtigrows.com. That's j-a-i.kinsey, K-E-N. S-E-Y at gtigrows.com. If you have a nonprofit that you want to, you know, send my way, please do. I take it uh, Pulse can't reapply for another grant. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. kidding. (laughs) Anybody who's interested in record clearing services in Pennsylvania, it's P-L-S-E-P-H-I-L-L-Y.org. Or you can reach out to me at C-H-E-N-A-U-L-T at P-L-S-E-P-H-I-L-L-Y dot <laughs> This has been fun, you guys. Thank you so much. Yes, thanks for being Thank on. Thank you for sharing. It's been an honor. Thanks again for listening to High Priority. 
Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks to Antoine Dry, Donald Edwards, and Jim Pryor from Dirty Soap Entertainment for our intro music. To learn more about our show and parent company, Matteo Communications, head on over to our website at matteo.com. That's M-A-T-T-I-O.com. 